0: Spend less time quoting and more time selling.
1: This episode is sponsored by our friends at the NTMA, the National Tooling and Machining Association. The NTMA is an association of privately held, entrepreneurial-based, and family-owned businesses representing nearly 1,200 small to mid-sized machine shops and tool and die shops across the country. They have approximately 30 very active regional chapters that host local events, run apprenticeship programs, and provide other services to their regional members. As an association of peers, the goal of the NTMA is to help members of the US precision custom manufacturing industry achieve profitable growth and business success in a global economy through networking, workforce development and training, technology, best practices education, advocacy, programs, and services with industry partners. To learn how your company can get involved with the NTMA, including how to join, visit ntma.org.
0: Welcome, Job Shop Enthusiast, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Job Shop Show. Your host, Jay Jacobs, here. My passion is to help raise the bar for American custom part manufacturers, sharing tips, best practices, and peer-to-peer insights that help make us better shops and ultimately more competitive worldwide. Today's guest shares my passion and approaches it from a different angle. Harry Moser is the president of the Reshoring Initiative. The mission of the Reshoring Initiative, and this is from their website, is to bring good, well-paying manufacturing jobs back to the United States by assisting companies to more accurately assess their total cost of offshoring and shift collective thinking from offshoring is cheaper to local reduces the total cost of ownership. We are a nonprofit organization and offer a number of free tools to advance our mission. Before Harry started the Reshoring Initiative, he worked at a number of manufacturing companies, finishing his corporate career as president and chairman of the prestigious Agi Charmi Corporation. Harry is an inductee into the Industry Week Manufacturing Hall of Fame worked with the Obama's administration's insourcing forum, and is constantly on social media these days. This guy keeps busy. Welcome to the job shop show, Harry.
2: Hey, yeah, it's great to be here. I, I appreciate the
0: opportunity. Yeah, thanks for making the time. One of the things that's interesting to me is, and where I'd like to start, is how you've taken a different path than others since you stepped away from running a successful company, essentially, you retired or you had the option to retire, and many in your position simply downshift, perhaps play golf every day and otherwise kick back. Yet, you've thrown yourself since 2005 into bringing manufacturing jobs back to the U.S. Why?
2: Well, first, I, I, I think I did both. So I, uh, before we had the crisis, I was uh, playing tennis, uh, running, lifting, what have you, an hour and a half, two hours every day. So mm-hmm. I, I think I have the best of both worlds because I'm, I'm, I'm getting that aspect of retirement, but I'm also doing what I really love, eight, 10 hours a day. And and to give you a little motivation on that, my, I grew up in Elizabeth, New Jersey, right across the river mm-hmm. from New York City. And the biggest thing in town was Singer sewing machine, which in its day, the building there was the largest factory in the world. My, my grandfather worked there as a foreman, my dad ran about a third of the factory. I worked there in high school and college. Wow. And I drove past 10, 15 years ago and everything was gone. Nothing is made in the United States. Everything is imported. And that, that reminded me of all the industries I used to sell machine tools to, uh, sh- shoe equipment makers, uh, textile equipment makers, foundry equipment makers, machine tool mm-hmm. companies, yeah, and most of which are just gone. And, right. and, and, and the equipment makers and the users of the equipment. And I, I, I cried then and said, this has to stop. We're going to bring it back. And and that's what I've been doing since.
0: To give the listener some background on you, so they're comfortable with why you have become an expert on reshoring. Can you share a little bit about your corporate career, particularly your time at and from your vantage point, the impact, which I think you just touched upon of offshoring and, and why it's devastated manufacturing and, and whole industries in the U S.
2: Yeah. So I, I was in uh, foundry equipment for a while. Now I worked for ne- uh, Acme Cleveland, which is national Acme and Cleveland twist sterile. So great old names in machinery and, and uh, mm-hmm. tooling, uh, D-Z-Matic, uh, I remember them. Uh, Mac foundry equipment, yeah, uh, roto finish, vibratory finishing machinery, and then and then came to Charmee, which is the EDM and high-speed milling machine company, which became Agi Charmi and now is uh, GF Machining Solutions. So, so I the, the company grew, expanded, you know, bought new things, and uh, I was very proud of the company because we w- when we started. I was, we were seventh or eighth in the industry and six years later, we were number one. So you know, it was as good a career as anybody could have. And most of my cus- customers are your listeners. We, we sold mainly to mold makers and dye makers and mis- precision machine shops, all that kind of thing. And, and so I, I was a, I don't know, an honorary member, an honored member of the NTMA, National Tooling and Machining Association. I worked mm-hmm. closely with the PMA and the FMA and and uh, all these other organizations that, that again your listeners are often part of TMA in Chicago.
0: What sort of revenue did the company have when you left?
2: A hundred hundred million.
0: That's pretty substantial for equipment decent. sales.
2: Yeah, decent. Yeah, it was, an, yeah. It, was a, it was a wonderful wonderful business. I loved it. I loved my customers, my employees, the industry. It was you know as good a life as as, as you could ask for. Yeah.
0: So you must have been in hundreds, if not thousands, of job shops during your career. And were you actively involved in sales? Is that, did you get out on the road a lot?
2: I, I was probably on the between on the road and going to trade shows and conferences and things where the customers <laughs> were. I was in, on the road at least a third of the time. I, I'd say much more than probably any other big company resident. Yes. But I, I'll tell you a little story. Yeah, I, I was uh, at an NTMA annual meeting. I was there talking to a a Dwayne Triber who ran a big mold making shop in uh, Minneapolis, and uh, and 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 then I'm talking to another guy, let's say Bill, and and Dwayne came over and said, Harry, he said, Bill, don't let Harry buy you dinner, and uh, <laughs> and Bill said, Why not? Free dinner. Harry's a nice guy. He said. Uh, Harry bought dinner for uh, Shirley and me uh, two years ago. And since then, I've bought $2 million worth of his machines.
0: <laughs> <laughs> really expensive dinner. <laughs> <laughs> so
2: so I, what I, what I, my, my view was the more customers I could meet, prospective customers, if they knew me, as soon as they knew me, they knew that when, if they had a problem, they could call me and I'd take care of the problem. Otherwise, if you call the president, you've never met him. Eh, Maybe, maybe you don't even get through. But this way, they knew they had access to me. And I was there to take care of them. And it worked. We, We got orders because of it.
0: What you just said is such a basic of customer service. And if you are a job shop owner listening, perhaps you ask yourself, am I accessible to my customers? Do I give my cell phone out to my customers? Will I take calls in the evening? And that is one of the ways that you can really differentiate yourself out there and truly i think give the type of customer service which touches upon probably the core of the topic which we're going to talk about today which is the reshoring but before we do that i want to try to get from you some of the insights of what made a a shop really good or excellent, better than others? Because again, you were in so many shops. What were they doing that made them different? Uh,
2: training. I think training was an awfully important part of it.
0: The, the what, US, training of the management or training of the hourly workforce? I'd say,
2: the, I'd say mostly the hourly workforce. Uh, ideally, the management is the ex-hourly workforce. Mm. <laughs> Okay. That's, That's the way it is in Germany. The, you get really mm-hmm. smart kids who go into the apprenticeship. They get their four years of incredibly good training. And I, I've taken tours to, to Switzerland specifically to see this. And mm-hmm. the, the owners, the senior management of good-sized companies, thousand-person companies, are often ex-apprentices who work their way up through the system. They know the product. They know the process. They know mm-hmm. the customer. They know the rest of the team. And they're, therefore, they're much more effective than a, harvard mba parachuting into the company and not knowing what's going on so i I, so i I put a lot of emphasis on on skilled workforce training
0: can you give us some specifics by what you mean by training what what should they be trained on
2: yeah well certainly to me apprenticeship is is the gold standard most people would agree that the german or swiss Mm -hmm. apprenticeship system traditionally a four-year apprenticeship system now now the tendency is to take away the time criterion and instead go to uh, skills based when you're when you 're able to do these things, you have passed your apprenticeship, even if it's only took two years, but because you had ten years of prior experience for example and but but getting getting the people to that level the the, the training is the, the apprenticeships are also important some people uh, four years is too long, and for for them. Uh, certificates. So there's excellent certificate systems uh, Mm. provided by MSSC and by NIMS, and both of them offer credentials in or related to uh, machining uh, activities, and, and having some number of credentials can be as valuable as having a bachelor's degree.
0: So those are something that the existing workforce who perhaps have been with you five 10 plus years could still learn more and gain skills and become more valuable for your shop
2: for, for your shop and also for themselves that, that yes. when, as, as they pick up those credentials they see themselves professionalized
3: mm-hmm.
2: which is good for their morale good for their self-image good for their their feeling of worth uh, as as an employee, as, as a stakeholder in your company
0: I remember at rapid we brought on a lot of young men who became either estimators and or what I'll call manufacturing engineers prepping the jobs before they hit the floor and we created our own internal certificate program. We had three levels and those were highly coveted and you really earned them but if you did earn them they meant something and every person who got the certificate i would sign them we would celebrate and that would be displayed prominently in their work area and it doesn't just have to be i guess on the floor as an example
2: good i agree
0: flipping to before we we leave your your (laughs) corporate experience i have a my own thoughts on whether to buy new or used equipment, even if it's gently used, you were in the business of selling new equipment. Why does it make sense to spend more money on newer equipment than buy something that has already been out there for a while?
2: You you presuppose the answer (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh, actually, actually, Charmey,
2: we we sold both. So we hmm. we have the, the customers could trade in their old machines. We would refurbish them and and resell them, and you'd get them up to perform as they did when they were new. So we okay. we, we were actively well actively sort of like a
0: certified that. car program uh, where exactly. where you knew that what you were buying wasn't a lemon.
2: wasn't a lemon Yeah. So so I, actually, uh, I did. We did some studies on this back. You know, when when I was there, when we took the previous generation machine, and had the best people make the best performance they could on that, and then the performance on the newest generation machine, and and proved that there was a you know twenty thirty percent whatever improvement in cycle time surface mm-hmm. finish accuracy whatever, and so we so we we could at that time at least document the enhancements of the of the new newest models versus the oldest models, which is. Certainly part of that justification, obviously other, other portions are the training that comes with it and the, the warranty, the one year warranty, what have you that comes with it. You know, mm-hmm. And, and having and having the, the newest is means that it's anytime in the future, it's residual value will be will be highest and actually on this subject. Um, most of your many of your listeners should know AMT, which puts on IMTS, mm-hmm. the big machine tool show, yeah. in September, and and so I, I was just on a phone call with Pat McGibbon, our VP of uh, uh, marketing, market research data, I think he calls it, and and they're working with me on a project to uh, uh, estimate or quantify for for a range of machine tools how much more, uh, how much costs come down using the newest model versus five-year, 10-year, 15-year-old model. And and, and I intend to use that to uh, as part of the argument of reshoring because, because it's essential to get the U.S. costs down to be competitive, mm-hmm. but also also to convince the government that when they're talking about infrastructure, they're always talking about spending trillions of dollars on infrastructure to make us competitive, and that that having the newest and best manufacturing equipment is going to actually do more for our competitiveness than fixing the railroad track or the bridge or what have you, you know, ter- how, how much yeah. actual cost do we lose because of the conditions now, assuming the bridge doesn't collapse, you know, mm-hmm. you know not very much. I mean, the stuff gets from place to place. Whereas having the, I'd, I'd like to show that have if everybody had, uh, you know, on average four-year-old machines instead of 11-year-old machines that would be 20 or 30% more competitive and therefore the work would flow back into the United States. And therefore the government should adjust the tax system and other incentives to help companies do that.
0: I totally agree with you there, Harry. And I'll give you an example at Rapid. I didn't have the data to back it up originally, but I just believed intuitively what you said and we ran Haas machining centers. We had a five-year-old Haas and the structure that we tried to put in place, it didn't always happen, but when a machine reached five years old, we would sell it and replace it with a new machine. But it was amazing to me. We ran the same exact program on a five-year-old Haas VF2 and a brand new, recently installed VF2. And I think we had something around a 20% cycle time reduction on what was supposed to be this, the same machine. But in those five years, they had so dramatically improved, probably in a whole bunch of different areas, the way that the machine performed and, and we could see ourselves that time savings. So.
2: Are you convinced that all the savings was due to the improvement in the new machine, as opposed to the degradation of the old machine?
0: Probably, probably because we ran mostly aluminum and we didn't put a lot of spindle hours on our machines. They were, they were not abused. They were, and they were maintained. We, we had a lot of, money put into regular maintenance so we had i think fairly good equipment that was running even though it was used
2: this in that in that same on that same subject we we did some studies where we would have our best applications engineer run a part on the on the die sinking the ram edm mm-hmm. and then we would challenge our customers to have their best guy run the same part and and typically their best guy was Twenty percent slower than our best guy, <laughs> and then we'd tra- we'd train them to bring them up to the up to the best possible condition. So show them the, the, to show them the, the the ROI on training.
0: That's a great example there. And as we're talking about, this is if we made the investment, if the government was able to reward companies from a tax incentive perspective to make the investments. We would definitely be reducing costs, which makes it a lot easier for companies to reshore. Yeah. So let's get into the reshoring initiative. What is the reshoring initiative? And I looked on the website, you reported in 2018, 1,389 companies brought back over 145,000 jobs. So you're having having a lot of success and making an impact.
2: Yeah, yeah. Too. To 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 put that in perspective, you have to understand where we started. So in mm-hmm. in twenty ten yes. in twenty ten when we formally started the reshoring initiative, we were able to find six thousand jobs announced coming back, and that's a combination of reshoring by U.S. companies, think General Motors, and mm-hmm. FDI foreign direct investment by foreign companies, think Toyota, for example. So mm-hmm. six thousand jobs in twenty ten, and that actually peaked at one hundred eighty thousand in 2017 and then has moderately fallen off in 2018 and 2019 because of the trade war, business uncertainty, dollars up a little bit, a series of things like that. But still still at a number, uh, 145,000 as you said in 2018 which was still way up from 6,000 in 2010. So, so we're still, we were still in a strong reshoring trend And the current uh, coronavirus crisis, et cetera, is only uh, accelerating that further.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I want to get into that in a little bit. But why has the trend increased in the 10 years to more reshoring? What's driving that?
2: Well, uh, when when I'm vain, I'd say we are. (laughs) (laughs) And we, we actually play a, an important role in it. There was a, a conference that the Commerce Department put on about five years ago, and the uh, then Chief Economist of the Commerce Department uh, called me, shouted me out in the audience and said, reshoring would not be happening today if it were not for the reshoring initiative and Harry Moser. So, so we, we played an important role in it. President Obama helped, President Trump has certainly helped, uh, but the underlying economic causes. Uh, first, uh, Chinese wages have risen about 15% per year for the last 15 or 20 years. Mm. And that's that's because of two things. First, the demand for labor has skyrocketed as their economy grew at 10% a year. Mm -hmm. And and the supply of labor is actually shrinking because the one child policy went into effect in about 38, 39 years ago, which means the cohort of people less than 38, 39, 40 is about half as big as it would have been. And the work, the working population of China is dropping by about 3 million per year. So you've got the, the demand for labor going up, the supply of labor going down, price price of labor goes up. And that's good for them. They get a decent living, mm-hmm. but it makes them less competitive than they were before. And that that's to our advantage. So wages going up offshore in China, Ch- China being less hospitable. When companies went there 10 years ago, China was, was a open armed, you know, lover for them, huh? mm-hmm. Whereas Because now, now China is clearly helping their state-owned enterprises at the expense of, of foreign companies. They're not, not as welcoming. Um, third, uh, companies are starting to recognize what we call total cost of ownership. There's, there, we're gradually, and it's painfully gradual, that we're getting them to go away from looking only at the X-Works price let's mm-hmm. say eight in China versus 10 in the U S and instead to look at the total cost, which includes duty, freight, carrying cost of inventory, uh, a range of you know, 28 other costs than, than price. And And when you add all those in that eight to 10 difference typically goes away. So some companies, not all, but increasingly companies are saying it isn't just the price you have to look at everything.
0: So China is, typically the country mentioned when we talk about where manufacturing jobs have left the U.S. But what about other Asian countries? Are they, how much of a threat do you see them either individually or collectively, should be be targeting, bringing those types of parts back as well?
2: Yeah, you know, we target everything. So we're, we're uh, sort of equal, equal threat to, <laughs> to all the countries. And uh, uh, China China has been the source of about 50, that's 50% of the reshoring that has happened, mm. Okay, despite their overwhelming strength in manufacturing, etc. So, so but, but it has come back significantly from Mexico, from India, from Turkey, mm. from Vietnam, Cambodia, whatever. But at the same time, Work has left the U.S. and gone to some of those countries. You know, there's mm-hmm. they're still offshoring, much less per year than there was before, but still, still happens sometimes. One of those Harvard MBAs parachuting in, and saving mm-hmm. the company, and uh, <laughs> uh, and the uh, and so so it's, we're, we're, it's it's always a struggle. Uh, a, a lot of the work that has come out of China because of the trade wars, because of the r- rising wages, et cetera. Uh, went to Vietnam S- six months right. ago. Vietnam was the, was a poster child. Everything, a lot was going to Vietnam, but surveys, repeated surveys suggested that for example, 40% of c- foreign companies in China were pulling some of their work out and of the 40, maybe six out of 40. So 15% of what was coming out was coming to the U S yes. and a, an equal or perhaps greater portion was going to Mexico. Mm-hmm. And then a lot was going to Vietnam, Cambodia, Malaysia, you know, other places that, that made sense. But what companies have found since, pri- prior to this virus problem, was mm-hmm. that the, those other countries, especially the small ones like Vietnam, uh, Cambodia, if you pull 10% of Chinese, they take 5% of Chinese manufacturing out and shove it into, into Vietnam, that doubles the output in Vietnam. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sort of,
0: is, sort of blows up the country there because yeah, and their and, wages will increase in, of, and
2: and logistics goes to hell yeah, and you, yeah. you can't get all the components and etc. 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 So, so uh, it hasn't turned out to be as uh, as perfect a, a solution for people. Uh, but, but th- th- there always there is competition. There always will be competition. It, mm-hmm. It's up to our companies in our country to make us able to withstand or overcome that competition.
0: One of the things that you are credited with really doing is getting the customer in the US in the mood and softening them up so that they are willing to take a look at reshoring. You're constantly writing articles on podcasts. just actually listen to one of your podcasts that you, where you were on with a fellow from Mazak, which was interesting to me since I they believe they're a Japanese company, Japanese tool supplier. Mm-hmm. And yet they're uh, having someone like you promoting the manufacturing in the U.S. which of course they are selling machine tools here in the U.S. So just, your thoughts on on that
2: yeah the reality is that haas that you mentioned Mm -hmm. is is the is one of the machine largest machine tool builders in the world done an incredibly good job but but there there isn't a lot other than haas and there's there's a few small companies there's sort of remnants of some of the older big companies Uh, Mm -hmm. thieves and others have still have you know divisions here but but the vast majority and i can 't remember seventy percent eighty percent something of the machine tools purchased in the United States are imported so if if, if i if the u s wants to be competitive, wants to expand its capacity and its efficiency it 's pretty much dependent on on those foreign brands now, mazak that you mentioned i 've been several times to their facility in Florence, Kentucky, which is oh, also they are making.
0: They are making is, machines in Kentucky great
2: which is, which is a major manufacturing facility I, I, I I'm quite sure hundreds hundreds of workers and you know probably in its own right is probably the second or third largest uh, machine tool manufacturing facility in the United States so 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 I feel very comfortable uh, working with them to um, increase reshoring and if that if that you know, that'll certainly increase their production in the US they'll, they'll bring in some machines I'm sure from offshore. And if that makes your customer your listeners more competitive, well then, then that's wonderful. And but 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 it would be ideal if if some you know some people started new US machine tool manufacturers. You know but that's a or, hard job.
0: Or the foreign machine tool manufacturers like the car manufacturers open plants here in the US to supply the US market because If nothing else, you're creating job, manufacturing jobs in the U.S., and you also are developing the skill sets because these companies are typically, I think, employing pretty advanced manufacturing technologies to make their own products. So we are training and cross-training the U.S. workforce in some great, advanced manufacturing technologies, which we can bring to other industries in the U.S. I agree with that. I would like to talk about the total cost of ownership estimator. But before we do that, I want to make this relative to our listeners who are really more the small to medium-sized job shop owners who... I I think even though I had quite a few team members at my company, we didn't have the international contacts. We didn't have the relationships necessarily within our customers to have a conversation about reshoring. So how do we as small shop owners, how do we play in this reshoring initiative in the world?
2: there's a a couple of ways um they can preferentially buy u.s metal you know Uh steel steel from the u.s instead of from china or 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 somewhere else yeah
0: so that may cost a little more but that's but that's one of the things that you sort of have to if you want to if you want u.s (laughs) manufacturing jobs you got to look at the, how you're impacting U.S. And manufacturing every, jobs.
2: Each of us as consumers, individual mm-hmm. consumers, as, as shops. So you could buy the st- steel that, and aluminum that's made in the U.S., aluminum's mm-hmm. tougher. Uh, you could buy cutting tools made mm. here by uh, Kenometal and you know Sandvik in the U.S. and so on, as opposed to imported to the extent that you can make that differentiation. You can buy uh, related accessories like like uh, Big Kaiser, a good friend of mine, Chris Kaiser. He, mm-hmm. they're they're producing some of their product here in the United States. That's great. Um, they can if, say it's a stamping shop or or a molder. They can buy their molds and their stamping dies in the U.S. instead of buying them from offshore. Mm-hmm. You know, there are lots of, lots of possibilities. To, to if 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 a Haas machine is the right machine for them, they can buy a Haas instead of. A, you know an equivalent uh, coming in from china or or Taiwan or somewhere a lot, a lot they can do but but th- th- that 's what they can do in terms of their purchasing.
3: Mm-hmm. I think
2: that the key thing the thing that we 're much more likely to get them excited about is what they can do for their sales for their revenue okay okay and and so for that on, on our website, they can look up and find under under uh, resources. Uh, the import substitution program. So the what is that? <laughs> yeah, you
0: know, th- that's
2: that's a way that the shop can substitute its output for imports that their customers or their prospective customers are now uh, bringing in. So <laughs> the way this works, we'll work with a with a, a company. So right now we're working, for example, with a an injection molder, and the injection molder has defined the kinds of molded products that they're especially good at this material, that size for that application and so on. And, and we agree on a, a, a range of definitions of those products and the HS codes, which is how you categorize products that are being exported or imported. And it's, it's just a number that defines mm-hmm. that description. And then we tell them the biggest importers are of those products either in the country or within 500 miles or whatever territory they want to pick mm-hmm. who, who those importers are co- company name address how many tons are bringing in uh, uh, whom they're buying it from offshore uh, rough roughly very roughly what they're paying for it okay so mm-hmm. we take we take your job shop from the, the current condition where they walk in and see a customer a prospective customer and say John, you need any more parts next year? <laughs> and yeah. John says, "Ah, we're we're doing okay. Yeah, it's it's okay." And and then they walk out. And instead, they come in and say, "John, I see you're make you're buying thirty tons a year of widgets. We just put in a great new multitasking multi spindle, you know, what have you machine that is the most efficient way in the world to make widgets. And we we've run our cost on it. We know that labor is only." of the total, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: so no no matter where you're buying it in the world, if if their wage rates are zero, it can't be much more than 10% less than ours, and I've done this total cost of ownership estimator calculation, and it suggests that there's 20 points that you're leaving on the table when you look at duty and freight and carrying cost of inventory, and 35%, in this case, if it's coming out of China, and we know you're getting a lot of them from China, because the trump tariffs apply to it Mm. so you're going to be 15 points better off if you buy that material from me instead of continuing to import it
0: which sort of titles at your customer are involved in that sort of discussion will it happen at the purchasing agent level do you need to get to the purchasing manager vp of procurement what where do you start
2: where do you start I think you start I'd say you start with your normal contact the, the people mm-hmm. you would normally walk in to see uh, whether they call it purchasing procurement a lot of people call it procurement. might be supply chain mm-hmm. um, and and s- sometimes that'll work you know and and sometimes it won't in in some of these companies the uh, I've had salesmen tell me I go in and I, I talk I say I know you're having warranty issues I know you're having quality issues. I know you're having uh, lack of inventory or too much inventory.
1: Mm-hmm. And the
2: procurement person says, those aren't in my budget. Those are in somebody else's budget. So you know,
3: <laughs> I don't care. So true.
0: It's so true.
2: Now, if the president of the company heard that, he'd, he'd have to disagree. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so you start, you start at that level. Um, may, maybe you, uh, get somebody at the company to listen to this podcast and hear mm-hmm. the things we're saying, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you have them call me, you have them go to our website, but, but if if you can't, but, but part of the problem is that these procurement people are typically rewarded on something called purchase price variance.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay? Yeah. We've been buying these for $10 a piece. We're, if you can get it down to eight, that's, dollars a piece you buy a hundred thousand that's two hundred thousand dollars of purchase price variance and that's mm-hmm. maybe what it takes to get his bonus so he's going to be hesitant to agree with you okay so if, if necessary then you with that person you have to go up a level or two levels in the chain you've got to meet the the, the general manager at the on the golf course mm. you know, or for a beer and say you know sue you know i'm, I'm having problems we, we we want to help your company we want to reduce your total cost and your 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 uh, procedures are getting in the way of both both of us being more profitable can we work together
0: i often found that some of the companies the procurement folks were as you said that the metrics were as you described but the shipping costs weren't part of that
2: actually about (laughs) about about eight years ago i was giving a presentation and the, the, my host at lunch was a senior uh, supply chain person from one of the biggest aerospace companies.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And, and I, I said, you know, Bill, how, how, how do you make decisions? He said, uh, price. I said, really, just price? He said, yeah, here, imagine, he said, we have this housing. And he, and he went like, this, this with his hands. So I'm thinking 500 pounds, 1,000 pounds. He said, we source that in the US, casting, something like that we air freight it to China to be machined, we air freight it back to be plated, we air freight it back again to be machined, we air freight it back here to be assembled into the end product. And when we make the decision to do that or to source everything in the US, we only look at the prices, we, do, we exclude the freight costs, we exclude the inventory carrying costs and the paperwork and everything else that goes with it. Crazy. And one of the biggest companies in the country.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So the sur- sur- survey says, Uh, approximately 60, 60 percent of companies make those decisions based on price, or or at best landed cost, Mm -hmm. which would be price duty freight, Mm -hmm. but leaving off maybe 26 other costs and risks that should be considered.
0: For the import substitution program is someone who is interested, is everything they need right on their website or is a conversation with you really required to understand the structure?
2: Yeah, on the website there's a description, mm-hmm. and there's a, a, a form that they can fill out to start describing the part that they the parts they're good at making. You know, the, the one mm. the, this isn't this isn't for the shop that has three people and they say, oh, we can make anything that goes in that comes in that'll fit on our machine, and we don't specialize, we just make everything. Well, I, that's not going to work. It's best if they're Specialists in um, high volume uh, small precise you know, mm-hmm. electronics or or, or or maybe valves or fittings or just you know, something so we can so I can focus otherwise I, I can't bring them a lot of value they have to at least be really good at at one two three four things so I can come out and find the you know the, the, the best fits um, but they can fill that form out and, and there's a place to, to send it to us mm-hmm. um, the, the description of the program is is there on the um, website. Um, the only thing that isn't there is the price <laughs> for this. because This is <laughs> a, paid, a, a paid service. Uh, but mm-hmm. but for your uh, the, for the information of your listeners, uh, that that program where we do everything remotely, we train we train them on using the TCO estimator. We we uh, help them over the phone. We help them by email. But we, I don't come out. Mm-hmm. That's that's $5,000. Okay.
0: Well, Zoom's, we're all learning how to use Zoom for meetings. So uh, we'll, that yeah. probably will work.
2: And let, let and, me mention one, one last thing on that, because yeah. some of for some of them, five might seem like a lot. Uh, we have a sort of an introductory program where they can um, go, we can go back and forth and just do that definition of the product, like mm-hmm. fill out that form, couple of iterations back and forth, and we'll study the market We'll send them a sample of what we found, and that's one thousand dollars. So we we we're willing to take that if they're willing to take a very small
0: investment. Yeah, that's pretty reasonable. To prove to
2: prove like proof of function or proof of purpose for this, and find out if it's worth proceeding, you know, with the other four thousand to take it up to five thousand. So so we're tr- we're tr- we know the time is right for this, and we want it to be. We, I wanted to fit it to the pocketbooks of shops, but still, it's not the two or three-man shops. It's, the, it's a relatively focused shop.
0: I think even if nothing comes out of it, $1,000 for what you could learn by engaging with you and in the initiative would be so beneficial. That's, that's money definitely well spent. And we're in the COVID-19 time. There is probably going to be a lot of reshoring happening because many companies were blindsided with the opaqueness of their supply chains and the medical community the medical equipment supplier manufacturers or, or product providers were have just just been whacked Would you just speak to that for a second
2: yeah it's every almost every article you read on the subject right now discusses that uh, it, there's a broad range of medical, devices where we are 80 to 95 percent dependent on imports and within that significantly on China. So this includes penicillin, other antibiotics, um, the masks, the gowns, the, the ventilators, all kinds of things that, that we were... Um,
3: mm-hmm.
2: it, when, when, when demand was normal, whatever that was a year ago, mm-hmm. we were getting from, 95% from offshore. And now that demand is 10 or 20 times normal. So we're trying to go from 10% of normal to 10 times normal, which is a factor of a hundred. And that's why you see all this craziness of GM making ventilators and so on, because the ventilator companies can't just ramp up and double or triple. You know, we were starting from essentially zero and trying to go big. And so the, uh, th- th- this has has proven that in the medical device area, we're woefully overly dependent, woefully unself sufficient, and the the, the and a- as a result of that, uh, two or three senators, congressmen have introduced bills to uh, fix that problem. No, so that that should I'm I'm confident that'll happen. That'll help all of us. Mm-hmm. And but but the the key is to then once we're past the crisis on the medical products to expand that from yes this is a medical war a health war what happens if the next one is a military war Mm
1: -hmm. and we
2: can't make the steel that we need we can't make the aluminum we can't make the bullets we can't make the tanks we can't make the whatever and we're dependent on China for a lot of that material Well, that's stupid and so I I think people are starting to see that that the U.S. in general has to be much more self-sufficient.
0: Yeah I want to just throw a couple bullet points out there the drug manufacturers particularly the generic product folks are a lot of the generic drugs are manufactured in India and okay India wasn't exposed to the coronavirus so supply chain safe not so much because most of the raw materials for the generic medicines come from China exactly the, that's what I'm meant by the opaqueness of the supply chain. And it really should be thought of as a national economic defense. And manufacturing in the U.S., as you said, is critical. And a couple things that really bothered me is that we have chips that computer chips that are manufactured in Taiwan for our defense department. That's the only place they're made. And how far is Taiwan from mainland China? That worries me. The steel capacity in the US is, there's some here, it's it's coming back, the, the mini mills, but there's an ingredient in some of the high strength specialty steels, magnanese steel, that 93% of it is produced in China. So they, as you said, in steel, we could be shut off from the steel requirements that we would need to produce the equipment, and not just military, but all the other manufacturing equipment if we had to quickly bring that back into the US. So it is something to really ponder what happens when supply chains get shut down and, how do we want to be able to respond as a country?
2: Agreed. Yep.
0: So we've been teasing folks about the TCO, the total cost of ownership estimator that you have. Could you explain what that is and the different pieces of it?
2: Okay. Before that, let me yeah. give them a, a little more motivation to listen. Because okay. Because uh, any, any software explanation always has a, a bit of uh, uh, lack of excitement <laughs> so to get them excited. Uh, we, we People who use the TCO system online, free on our website, uh, we, we we slice and dice their data. So we took 200, 250 cases of China versus the US. Where mm-hmm. The company said they were doing a real case, real study. And of those cases, in 8% of the cases that they studied, the US X-Works price was lower. In other words, U.S. wins mm. 8% of the time based on price. When the customer, when when the when you got down to the total cost of ownership line, which included all these 29 factors, the U.S. won 32% of the time. Mm. We go from 8% winning on price to 32% winning based on total cost. And if a 15% uh, Trump tariff was in place on the product, the U.S. won 46% of the time. And if the, if, if the U.S. company could figure out how to cut its selling price, its manufacturing cost by, say, 10% by investing in the newest equipment or going lean or doing something like that, then it goes up to about 60%. So so it isn't like, oh, you're playing around. Maybe you can get a dribble back here and there. If we can get the big companies to do the math correctly, if if your listeners will use the tools to convince the big companies to, to do the math correctly, mm-hmm. hundreds of billions of dollars worth of work can come back, millions of manufacturing jobs, yeah, m- m- more, more than we have good manufacturing people to produce. <laughs>
0: well, what I like about it, again, this is software and a spreadsheet and that, but this is data, and it's not just a warm, fuzzy... It's bring b- business back to the US, create jobs. This is where you can present that it makes financial sense.
2: Correct. So, so that, that's, that's to keep your, your listeners listening. Okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so if, if you go to our website, uh, www.reshorenow.org, uh, you'll find a, a blue bar at the top. One, one of the boxes is t- total cost of ownership estimator. And you click on that, it takes you to a page you have to sign up, you know, create a, a password, what have you, but free. Uh, and then when you come back, you sign in. When you sign in, you'll have access and you can just start humming and putting in data or, or you can go to the sample. So there's an example that's posted there just to mm-hmm. give you a feeling. So you feel, this is new, this is different. Harry's not here to tell me. So you go there, you can look at the sample that, that Harry filled out so you can understand that. And, and I, I've got in front of me the that that sample. So I'm going to take you through a little bit of it, so you so you can see it. And mm-hmm. but the idea is is not to put in the same numbers I put in, but to put in your numbers. You know, for the listeners who who do it, to put in the numbers that 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 they know uh apply. Mm-hmm. And especially if they're doing it, I guess anybody who's doing it, big company or job shop, <clears throat> you should put in conservative numbers. You you don't want to overestimate because if you right. if if you, if you do that. Then the procurement person is going to say, "Oh, you're just you're just fixing cooking the books," you know, or the or -hmm. or the accountant's going to say, "No, that's not real." And so it's important to keep to keep the especially the uh, soft items on the conservative side rather than on the high side, so as to maintain credibility, so you win win the argument. Okay, so I've got in front of me now, and basically it has. Two a series of rows, uh, starting with price. Mm-hmm. Price is obviously is a big piece of this, and then a series of columns, and uh, the U.S. There's one column for the U.S. There's one column for offshore, and in in that offshore column, you you pick the country that mm-hmm. it's relevant to, and why do you pick a country? Because that will change could change the uh, duty rate and will change the freight cost from there to, mm. and, and we, we have built in the freight cost to Chicago, just to have a central industrial kind of location. So sure. You, you, you can't, cannot figure, like, but Chicago should be pretty close.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And, and then there's some, uh, so, so then you go through this, this form, you answer the question for the US source, which is if it's a job shop, it's you, mm-hmm. your price, And then your best guess at what the offshore price is. The customer has been telling you China is 30% lower than you are. Okay. Put in a number 30% lower than where you are. Or or, or put in any number, run all the percentages, and then come back and find out what number for the offshore source still leaves your total cost lower. So you can do like an iteration Mm. and find out what the sensitivity is so you you there's the factor like price there's mm-hmm. us there's offshore and then there's co- a column called common because for example the the uh, annual quantity of, of parts number of widgets you know is is the same whether they get them from right. china or from the us un- unless china has to ship more because you're going to throw away the bad ones
3: okay.
0: okay
2: that that's supposed to be funny
0: <laughs> <laughs> no it, 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 it it's it, i harry i remember a customer who bought parts from china then say for every 100 parts they said yeah we go through them and we're probably throwing away 20. we know the quality isn't really good but well, that's just what we have to deal with. And I'm sure they didn't account for the cost of sorting and throwing away those 20.
2: Yeah, they may, maybe didn't even account for the 20.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, let's give, yes, they may have done okay. that, but I'm sure not all the other aggravation. Yeah.
3: Yeah. <laughs> and,
2: and, and if you, it, just maybe just to expand on that a little bit, if 20 of them are so visibly bad that you throw them away, are there 10 or 15 that aren't quite are not quite visibly bad uh, but that oh, snuck through yep. and got out into your system and sc- messed up warranty oh, oh, or performance.
3: yeah. You
2: know? Yep. Yeah. Tight tolerances have, within reason, have uh, value. So you start with price, quantity, uh, product category. Is it a tool? Is it a thing? Why? Because that, that helps to define the uh, duty rate, the regular <laughs> duty rate, not, not the trunk rate. If you know the duty rate, you can put that in on the, on the category. And then that that supersedes the product category the uh, the weight you know what is it in, it's in pounds uh, it, there's a there's also a right hand column of this that that def, that describes what we're looking for helps you understand it helps you understand how we're going to use the data in the calculation so
3: mm-hmm. it makes
2: it easier for you to to know what harry is looking for what the system's looking for when you when you fill this out um, i'm going to skip down Th- things like number of shipments per year why because that changes the shipping costs a little bit and it also changes the uh the inventory carrying cost the uh the the percentage
0: harry just to step back a sec for the listener what what i saw when i went through this and what we had talked about before we we hit record here is that essentially there's three pieces of the total cost of ownership. You have the actual cash expenses, the possible cash expenses, and then trying to uh, categorize any risks. Is that the in general the three categories that these fall into?
2: Yeah, it's a good point. Thanks for bringing that up. There's, I'd say there's three categories. There's uh, obvious hard cash expenses, like yep. the price, the freight, uh, the uh, maybe travel cost to go visit the supplier. Those are just mm-hmm. absolute hard cash. Nobody can argue with you about those. And right. then there's calculated cash costs like oh. uh, carrying cost of inventory. Mm-hmm. That's, it's, a, it's a calculation. And most companies don't apply it on, a, on an SKU basis, but it's still there. They've got mm-hmm. millions of dollars worth of inventory. It's costing them money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then there's risks. And risk could be uh, quality. It could be uh, risk of air freight instead of surface freight
3: mm-hmm.
2: yeah, the last batch was bad surface air freight in the new batch bam somebody's paying for it um, the, the, the risk of intellectual property risk of, of natural disaster risk with which I include the the coronavirus as, mm-hmm. a, as a form of natural Shoot. disaster right? and yep. and so so those three categories and and inevitably the the accountants will give you the most uh, they'll listen most to the hard costs, you know, the the absolute ones that are actually appear in their ERP or financial system. They'll mm-hmm. give you, uh, I'd say, pretty good on the calculated costs, like carrying cost of inventory, because they believe in that, because they're always trying to cut inventory. And and then you know, on the risks, then then you're likely to get into debate. So at the end of this whole system, you 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 put in all these answers. And then it, it calculates twenty nine different costs based on algorithms that take the the, the, the your answers for the first part, and put them together in little equations, and mm-hmm. come up with answers with each of the equations spelled out. So you and your and your procurement person know how it was calculated. And then down in the in graphs that come out, it says of the total cost, how much of it was these. Uh, uh, mm-hmm hard costs and how much of it is they calculated how much is the is the risk cost so like to so the procurement person or the chief financial officer might say i'll give you the first two categories but i'll only give you half of the last category okay that's better than the condition when i came in you know and and to, to take on that inventory topic we had a a company we knew quite well mori corp uh, they made they're an ems company they make uh, print populate circuit boards and make similar devices and they told me about a case where they had a housing that had failed, and mm-hmm. their customer insisted that they bring the, su- the supply chain back to the U.S. And when they did that, their inventory was cut by 94% because they didn't have wow. container loads. They didn't have extra piles because they didn't know what the quality was going to be. You know, it's, right. they didn't know what demand was going to be. So, now we're not promising anybody 94% but maybe a 50% reduction in inventory would make sense,
1: especially Mm
2: -hmm. if you can go just in time. And for most companies, if they could get a 50% reduction in inventory, that would make up for an awful lot of price difference on on the product. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: I like it. I like it. This is such a valuable tool. And I encourage the listener, again, this is free and right on the website, you can jump in and be using it in a minute
2: really fast
0: really really i I just want to say it's really fascinating because you you nailed all the all the pieces that and so many of them aren't obvious or intuitive in how you look at it even even to someone who's in the manufacturing world so thank you for putting that together
2: a a lot of groups in the past american mold builders association Mm DMA, i think in chicago have had have written little pieces that say there's a 20, percent cost penalty of, of offshoring, you know, mm-hmm. and, 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 and having just one number, the customer is likely to say, well, that, that doesn't apply to me. That applies to somebody else. Mm-hmm. That's why I, I, customized it. So, so it would fit exactly to the, to, to that customer. I give you another example. This, uh, this Mori Corp that I mentioned mm-hmm. outside Chicago. The the VP sales came to me about four years ago, and he said, "Harry, uh, I'm about to lose my best U.S. customer because uh, a Chinese competitor has offered a lower price than than ours, and I can't I can't match it." And so mm-hmm. Tony and I did the calculation. Uh, he he took it into the customer, and, and on our website we have a, a quote from him, crediting using the TCO calculation as the key to saving a. 60 that's 60 million dollar order. Really? Yeah.
0: That's a lot of jobs. <laughs> I, I
2: should have asked for a commission.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, you know, so wow. Yeah,
2: you know, obviously most most of your listeners don't get 60 million dollar orders but but if they could get a couple of 100,000 or 200,000 dollar orders. <laughs> and, and it's and especially just just a thought that uh, right now, if you're in, a, say, you're in Cleveland or, or Buffalo or somewhere, and there's you know ten machine shops, and to a certain extent, you're competing with each other over the same bones. You, you mm-hmm. sell sort yeah. of the same customers yeah. each year. The word comes up, somebody cuts the price a little bit, somebody screwed up last year, what have you. Maybe the bone moves from shop to shop, kind of thing. Huh? Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas when you when you try our import substitution program, all of a sudden. There's this whole other huge volume of work that becomes available that nobody else in the US is bidding on because they think it's locked in with China or India or somewhere and it's not, and, and they can't be competitive. So now, now you're there, you're, you're not gonna win everyone, but you don't win everyone when you fight over the bone in Cleveland now. So it gives you a, a whole new range of opportunities for bringing work into your shop, which could be very valuable coming out of this uh, crisis
0: another way that you might be able to compete for business that's being reshored is i know you have associations with a lot of organizations out there like the ntma you mentioned the pma you do purchasing fairs and there's other sort of events where a custom part manufacturer can get in front of folks who are looking to reshore where you or someone else have done the softening up work and got them in the mood to want to buy in the U.S. What well, sort of what sort of opportunities events exist? Obviously, we're not doing them right now, but in the back well, in we're, the we're summer, doing them pretty soon. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, this this morning, I was on a, uh, a Zoom call with uh, AMT, and as as most most of your list, many of your listeners, at least in machining, know AMT is the association that puts on IMTS which is the mm-hmm. 130,000 person machine tool show in McCormick Place every second year including this year. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they've committed to a major focus on uh this they call it connecting the domestic supply chain. Mm. Okay, connecting the with with the customer. And so we're going to have a significant booth there. We'll have staff uh, we're go- going to have All kinds of uh, press releases, media, webinars, podcasts—you know, whatever leading up to that. And Mm -hmm. the idea is to is to bring the OEMs in, the big the customers in, and and soften them up. (laughs) Mm -hmm. My job, (laughs) Uh, and and to bring the job shops in and train them on doing this. Uh, We've also we're asking the exhibitors, the, the MAZACs, to tell us about cases where their equipment has been good enough to help uh, either an OEM or a job shop decide to reshore where it made them competitive enough. Right. and also to tell us the categories of widgets
3: Mm.
2: where, where their machine is so competitive that it should be easy to bring the work back. Mm -hmm. And then when the OEMs come in and say, yeah, okay, tell me about widgets. We say, well, you know, Mazak or George Fisher. Somebody has, has a, a system that's really great at widgets. They believe they can do it. Why don't you go talk to them and then come on back. Let's do the TCO calculation and either you buy a machine or we've got a couple of nice uh, job shops around here that would be delighted to mm. buy a machine and make those for you. <laughs> so that's I in, think septem- I- in September at McCormick Place uh, IMTS.
0: Great. You are Such a dot connector, Harry. (laughs) That's probably the best way to describe, the and and it's so needed. It's so needed, and you're doing a fantastic job there. I think this is a good place for us to call it a day.
2: Could I just throw a couple more of those on? Um, yeah a- a- ama association for manufacturing excellence they're the mm-hmm. they're the biggest lean organization promote, promoting lean mm-hmm. and and their their annual conference is going to be in toronto in october and they're putting a big focus on this same supply chain uh, reshoring concept uh, gardner uh, media which puts out modern machine shop and three or four mm. other excellent magazines yeah um, th- they're having a series of four webinars on this where we start with an overview and then uh and then we do one focus for the oems and then one for the job shops and then one for the government uh, talking to each of these constituencies Mm -hmm. and so uh there's there's a lot going on like that to make this uh happen a couple of the quick advices for the shops that you before
0: you get into the advice i think that you're website is really good at listing all these different types of events that are coming exactly. up. So if there. you are yep. curious about where you might participate, go to reshorenow.org.
2: That's great. Perfect. So just advice from, from my studies of what may, what's mm-hmm. possible. And the, there's a limit to how low you can go on price. Our wages are higher, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. But, but deliver You know, if, mm. if, if the, the Chinese are really clever, and they'll put their people on twenty four hours a day if they have to to get the thing out say mm-hmm. and if 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 they can get it out of their shop four weeks faster than you can get it out of your shop, then your advantage of being close to the customer and having one day delivery just went away. Mm-hmm. If you can get it out of your shop as fast as they can get out of their shop, you've got a four week delivery advantage. Many customers will pay a little more to have a four week delivery advantage because then they can have less inventory just in time, et cetera, et cetera. So to, to us, delivery is key. One thing I'd suggest bigger shops look at is something called QRM, quick response manufacturing, which is a methodology put out by the University of Wisconsin in Madison and it helps i've been to their conferences company after company describes how especially in a high mix low volume typical job shop environment mm-hmm. they companies have cut uh, delivery times by a factor of two or three and cut costs so i think it's, it's well worth looking at uh, the other i would thing also
0: is, I, i'm just going to add a piece of that which was an edge for me at rapid is it's important to manufacture the parts quickly but if you don't quote quickly then you're not going to get that opportunity we quoted sometimes instantly but typically we had a two hour response time on our quotes and we often delivered parts before the customer had quotes back from other shops that the customers will not wait you have to quote fast and you have to deliver fast
2: I talked to a shop recently, a very successful shop, and they go out to the sh- customers and ask the customers to give them prints, and they have a very automated system of quoting, mm-hmm. and they have the quote on file, and so as soon mm-hmm. as the the minute that the customer comes in and asks for a quote, they send the quote mm-hmm. because they've already developed the quote in preparation for getting the order. And so Love that's it. Why. You, you talked before about responsiveness. The, the, the nature of, the say, the Chinese or Indian supplier, they're at different time zones, different languages, different cultures, pretty hard for the customer to talk to them easily. Mm-hmm. So if the customer calls you at your shop and it's easy to get through to you and get an answer, get a problem resolved, well, then you have a unique advantage that they don't have with that foreign supplier. Whereas mm-hmm. if they call you and the message is left and four days later you, you get them back to them, well, the Chinese have gotten back to them by email right so so don't don't give away the the advantages of, of person-to-person responsiveness
0: great point well thank you so much harry for chatting with us today and i think most importantly for not fading into the i was going to say woodwork but maybe i should say the metal work and <laughs> instead you you bellied up, you are making such a positive impact on bringing manufacturing jobs back into the US. So important, yeah. so appreciated. The US really needs to be thinking about our overseas supply chains today. It is a economic threat, a national economic defense area that needs to be addressed. and. You as the reshoring initiative have created a platform that allows us to get started, not waste months or years creating the tools to quantify to the bean counters why it makes sense to do so. The TCO spreadsheet, it's such a powerful tool that's again free for anyone to use. So I'm very grateful for what you've done for US manufacturers and what I know you will continue to do. Anything else before we go that you'd like to impart to our listeners?
2: Well, th- your listeners are are the key members of the team. And if if they listen to this and say, Harry, well, that's nice. Good luck. Well, then I'm going to make, I'm going to continue to make results, but not as much as I could. If they, if they take advantage of what we've offered them, if they use the TCO estimator, if they call on us for help, then they can magnify my efforts by a factor of 10 or a hundred. So, uh, in their interest, in the interest of their kids, in the interest of the country, let's all do
0: it together. Yeah. And again, if how do people reach you and?
2: No, well, uh, info at org or harry, harry.moser at reshorenow.org is totally, that's direct. Um, and uh, 847-867-1144, however, any of those ways reach me. And, I'd uh, love to hear from you, I'd love to hear your story and, and work on opportunities together.
0: Well, thank you for making yourself so available to our listeners. Folks, a lot to digest from this conversation. Big takeaway for me is that there is more to the cost perspective than just the the hard costs. And as a shop owner, we may not be able to have the conversations with the right people at our customers at the OEMs however there are things we can do to position our companies to be better to compete and be easier for the OEMs to bring business back and if nothing else promote the reshoring initiative and let them let them do that softening up at the larger level for us so when our shop is ready to take those jobs uh, the, the customers are are going to be ready for us and if you've won any work that is a result of reshoring let us know let harry know because he does have an award for that these stories are so powerful and we want to share them until next time Keep those spindles turning, those lasers cutting, and invest in your shop. Have a great day.